welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, good afternoon and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm your host, Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. We're delighted to have you with us. Dr. Charles is board certified in family practice. She's a doctor of osteopathy, and we're delighted to have her on board. If you ever make it to San Antonio, depending on where you're listening to us, you find her at the Ingram Mall Clinic for WellMed. And Dr. Charles, it is, as always, great to see you. Great to see you too, Ron. It's good to be here. So, uh, Marissa, we're talking today uh, about telemedicine, and Dr. Linda Villarreal from the WellMed at Edinburgh Clinic in the Valley will join us. But tell me first, uh, do you use telemedicine in your practice? Yes, Ron, of course. Um, When the pandemic hit, we had to make huge strides in our ability to use these technologies and where before we had been whispering about maybe, you know, using more telemedicine in the future when the pandemic hit and we needed to use it for safety purposes. We all learned we all learned how to use the platforms that we needed to um, to be able to communicate with our patients from home. So, yes, absolutely. One of the things I love every day. uh, during the height of the pandemic, uh, if you had to give blood, they'd come down to your car and, and take it in the parking lot, which I did on a couple of occasions. So, yeah, proving thankfully that we don't have to do that anymore. But yes, we exactly. had to make a proving lot, you lot of adjustments. Flexible. Well, let us welcome Dr. Villarreal to our WellMed Radio hotline. She's down in the valley at uh, Edinburgh, uh, where she is a WellMed physician. And Dr. Villarreal, it's great to talk with you. She is a graduate her medical degree from Northeastern University Medical School in Tampico, Mexico, completed her internship at Huron Road Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio, my hometown, and her internal medicine residency at Texas Tech Regional Academic Health Science Center in El Paso, undergrad from the university. That would be Texas at Austin. Dr. Virial, it's great to have you on, and tell us a little bit about what attracted you to practicing medicine. Thank you very much for having me, Ron. This is a really nice uh, program. I'm having fun already. Um, Let me just tell you, I was a very sickly child. uh, And in those days, doctors actually made house calls. So I can tell you to his last dimple what my doctor looked like because he would come to the house a lot. So that really kind of threw me in the direction of medicine. Uh, and through uh, what I call my scenic route, uh, I ultimately got my degree, my residency, and uh, through some uh, unfortunate scenarios, I ended up in Edinburgh, Texas, my hometown. That was not my intent, but nevertheless, it was the best thing I ever did for myself as a physician and for my community in the city of Edinburgh. So I am very, very pleased to have been uh, in the same building, actually, for 30 years, practicing internal medicine uh, and very supported by my community and my family. But it also led me to organized medicine. So my most recent title happens to be the Texas Medical Association president. Oh, that's cool. I think so. That is really neat. Yes. Absolutely. I was going to ask if you missed the meeting where they picked you, but I gather you'd like to do that. Uh, yeah, well, no. <laughs> what are you doing? That's an honor. That's fantastic, Dr. Villarreal. Oh, it's fabulous. 
Tell yeah. us a little bit about the association. The Texas Medical Association is a physician member organization. Currently, its membership is 55,000. Wow. It represents the entire state of Texas physicians who are members. Uh, and we advocate <clears throat> through our physicians for our patients, trying to make sure that access to health care, availability of health care, but more importantly, maintaining the practice of our physicians, most especially recently, uh, with all the difficulties in trying to maintain a private practice or a small group practice, having just survived uh, 15 months of the pandemic. So Texas Medical Association uh, was available and ready, willing, and able to help physicians during their plight. When, when the practices were not seeing patients, uh, they still had to pay their bills, they still had to pay the overhead. And so they provided them assistance and direction to be able to hopefully keep their offices open. But more importantly, member or no member, the Texas Medical Association provided PPE free of charge for thousands of physicians in the state so they could at least continue to see their patients. So it's an advocacy now, group for our physicians, but it's also an advocacy at the state legislatures where, you know, there are so many people wanting to be doctors but can't. You know? So it's an amazing now, when you say uh, When you say PPE, a lot of folks <laughs> who, who may be listening uh, don't really know what that is. You're talking about the safety garb and gloves and the masks that you the wear. Personal protective equipment. Yeah, it is the exactly. yellow gown, the funny masks, and the shields. <laughs> and All and the to this day, you. Yeah, we they do protect. They they form uh, they put a barrier a uh, that is important uh, to avoid contact. Uh, so to this day, I still wear mine, uh, even though all my staff is vaccinated and I'm vaccinated and the majority of my patients are vaccinated. But, you know, you just never know. And my personal belief is I will wear that until I'm comfortable not doing that. Now, which is a good on. Go ahead, Marisa. I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, I was just going to say that's an excellent segue talking about, you know, how the practices had to adjust um, in order to uh, be able to care for patients appropriately through the pandemic and that support into um, the changing world of telemedicine. Yes. It's not indeed. new. It's been around, but it suddenly became incredibly valuable. You know, it's been around for decades, really. Right. The talk, the dialogue, the let's see what we can do, uh, multiple uh, platforms that were being made available. It was just never something that, that physicians wanted to kind of attach to. And I was one of them. I said, you know, I've got an eyeball to eyeball. But it certainly fulfilled a very important uh, component of continuing to take care of our patients when they were fearful of leaving their home uh, or sick, or in some situations, physician offices were closed or unavailable. Uh, so it certainly filled in that need. And that just gave us that jump start. And I, I got to tell you, even, the, even if they are my boss, Wellman jumped on it and got it going and made it an easy platform to use, not only at the level of the physician, but at the level of the patient, gave us so many directions on how we could connect. And it worked. It worked. It, it, in two decades, it was a slow train to China. In 15 months, it's one of the very most important uh, components of practicing medicine anywhere. How did your patients adjust to it? Uh, there was concern, I know, that uh, the technology was such that 
because both you and Dr. Charles see predominantly uh, seniors, uh, that some wouldn't adapt to that technology? You know, it, it was a... Uh... It was a little difficult. I got to be honest with you. I'm one of those from, you know, when, what year it is. But uh, if you'd have told me I'd have been doing that, I would say not, not really. So regardless of the level of IT education, uh, the process was slow to start because we needed to make sure everyone understood how to do it. Once we did that and the type of population, for example, in the Valley, there's a lot of winter Texans who use computers, who use iPads, who use their iPhones. And for them, it really wasn't that difficult. In Edinburgh, for example, we have a very large University of Texas at the Rio Grande Valley. So a lot of my patients are professors there, obviously using computers. So it was difficult for some. Sometimes we would have to get a provider, a daughter, a caregiver to help uh, the patient. But we always managed to connect. It was a simple process. And let me just tell you, once that little old lady saw me on the screen, it was like old home week and said, while I have you on the phone, can I ask you a few more questions? <laughs> so uh, it, it really did jump in and they embraced the concept. And so really, I think at this point in time, telemedicine isn't going anywhere. The only reason that it may be uh, less utilized is, of course, the issue with the legislature uh, in those type of practices where they refuse to uh, provide us with payment parity. So if you can think of those individuals in private practice, uh, because you still have to have the equipment, you still have to have the staff. You still have to have more time because sometimes there is an issue with connection, uh, but yet the government is not going to pay those physicians uh, the same way as if they were face to face. And in some of those uh, privately solo practice uh, offices, they depend on that that uh, payment, you know, that visit payment. So that was a little battle we didn't quite win uh, as of Saturday night, but we're not giving up. But other than that, kudos to WellMed because it is part of our armamentarian. It is a way that we can actually touch base with our patients, even if it's not a scheduled visit. If you provide the patient access to their doctor when they have a question and they can see their doctor, if you provide the option to the patient of saying, I know you're having to take care of the grandkids, let's just hook on for about 10 minutes and let me let, take a look at you and talk. It is, it's leaps and bounds beyond uh, being able to uh, adhere to medication adherence. It's so much easier to have a conversation than to ask questions in the office sometimes. And patients really? really like that. Yeah, you know, you go to the doctor's office. First of all, you're going to get that white coat syndrome, right? Uh, you have to get ready. You have to get a ride. You have to wait. You have to go in the room. You to, back and forth, back and <laughs> forth. It's important. It is necessary. And I don't like doing uh, telemedicine visits on a patient that I've never seen face-to-face. Okay. All right. Once- hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, and Dr. Linda Villarreal is our very special guest. WellMed at Edinburgh in the Rio Grande Valley is where she hangs out. Thanks for listening to us on WellMed Radio. 
You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. Crying, waiting, hoping. Woman Radio comes to you every week, and we feature one of our physicians from across the state of Texas and Florida and elsewhere where Wellman is expanding its offices. And we're delighted that we have a chance today to talk with Dr. Linda Villarreal. She's Wellman at Edinburgh is where you find her. And we're talking about telemedicine as a way to connect with patients. It's been around forever, as Dr. Villarreal said earlier, but it's gained prominence because of COVID-19 and the concern on the part of some patients about going into the office. And now that, as you said, Dr. Virial, most of your patients are vaccinated, no problem for them to go into the office, but it turns out they like telemedicine. So many do, absolutely, Ron. They, uh, it's convenient, you have to grant that. We're, we're in a generation of convenience, but more importantly, it actually kind of creates that bridge you had an appointment last month. I don't really want to go in, but I have some questions, you know, and a face-to-face with a patient rather than wait two weeks down the road and end up in the emergency room. So this is another tool that physicians can use to bridge that gap of communication. Uh, for so many, for so many years, it was always just at the office or after hours uh, in the emergency room. With the uh, with the development of freestanding emergency rooms and urgent care centers, those are okay. But if a patient knows that the next morning he can establish a telemedicine visit with their doctor, Doctor V knows me. She knows what medicines I have. I'm going to wait till the morning and I'm going to ask for a telemedicine because I'm taking care of the grandkids, but I got to talk to her. You know, so it's, it's become, I believe, even with patients, one of their tools to stay healthy. Absolutely. Dr. Villarreal, I know you had mentioned medication adherence, and I think that's a very important topic for us to discuss regarding our our patients and how important it is. I know for one, I often have patients that come into the office and they forget their medication bottles. And that makes it even more of a challenge to make sure that patients have the medications that we think they have. Plus, if they did go to an urgent care or an emergency room and were prescribed other medications, often we don't know about those unless they show us the bottles or the paperwork. So that's been another very good um, way that the telemedicine has helped. Absolutely. So they can show you the bottles uh, on the telemedicine feed. You know, I had one, not not a patient, but I had I had someone, I said, I can actually do an exam 
on the video. I said, you know what? I get to the point where I can almost tickle their tonsils if they put that phone just where it needs to be, you know? So it is a possible way. It's certainly not the best way, but I think in, in, in this world that we are living in, all communication is important. And just like Dr. Charles mentioned, we always tell patients to bring their meds. That works about 50% of the time. So when they're at home, they'll say, well, I don't have it. I said, go and get them. I'm going to be sitting right here waiting on you. Go get me the bottles. And then that creates that comfort level of communicating with each other. But at the same time, making sure that our patients are doing what they need to be. And then there's that amount of accountability from the patient in reference to their own healthcare, reminding them, uh, asking them questions about what's going on in their life, most especially during this pandemic. So letting them know, well, I haven't been eating well, so I didn't take my insulin. I said, no, 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 no. So it creates that bridge from one office visit to the other office visit that ultimately will keep our patients much healthier, much better compliant with their diabetes and their blood pressure. And nowadays, you know, especially with the pandemic, Everybody had a pulse oximeter, so I asked them questions about that, and and they all have a blood pressure machine. So I wait. I said, go ahead and take it, and let me see what it shows. So it's really another important tool in our little black bag that, honestly, as I mentioned earlier, I never thought I'd say this, but I... I like it. I, it keeps me connected. It keeps my patients connected. It's going to be here for a long time. I invested in an Apple Watch, which gives me a blood oxygen, gives me an ECG, gives me heart rate. Uh, it, it doesn't give me a uh, you know, complete check on other things that you'd need, but what do you need more than oxygen, heart rate, and blood uh, pressure, maybe. ECG? Yeah, and blood pressure. It doesn't give me blood pressure. But I have, a, as you pointed out, everyone's got one now. I got, I have a blood pressure device, so that's good. I want to come back to something you said early on, uh, Dr. Virial, and that was when you were a kid, uh, it was house calls that really triggered your interest in medicine. And I know that uh, some of our well-med physicians and others across the country, especially with palliative care, have begun to make house calls once again and, and have said, and we've had some on well-med radio, how valuable they find it going into the home. Absolutely. The, uh, what's the coined term is social determinants of health. Uh, sometimes you've got to have the ambiance to know what's really going on in your patient's life. But uh, house calls really never went away. There's just very few of us that, that would do those. Uh, I was a very bad asthmatic as a child, so I had to stay home a lot. Uh, so I can remember Dr. Joe May walking up my sidewalk to, with his little black bag uh, to take care of me. Uh, when I started my practice, uh, that was my comparison. That That's all I knew how to be a doctor. Uh, and so every once in a while, uh, you're going to run into a patient who is bedridden. And the only way you can either look at her to look at a patient is to send them to the ER because otherwise you need to go to the home. Uh, and a lot of doctors don't do that anymore for multiple reasons, uh, uh, personal reasons, liability reasons, uh, employee and employer reasons. Uh, but I didn't know any better. So I did house calls when I started my practice uh, sporadically. It certainly wasn't something out that I would advertise. 
And every time I did one, I would say, now you're under an oath that no one will know that I came to see you at your home. And they'd all laugh about <laughs> it, you know. But it's a very satisfying way when needing to be done to be able to do that for your patient. I can tell you my last house call uh, was more of a social call, uh, a retired executive dying from cancer, resistant to hospice. He was just determined and his wife and his kids and everybody was trying to help him to accept hospice. Uh, And so his wife said, can you just come and visit with him? I said, sure. I will do a social visit, which is what I did. But sometimes it's needed. You know, again, you you put all these tools into your little black bag uh, and use them. And you never know when you're going to use them. You never know when you're going to need them. And just like telemedicine, it's a tool that we have now. There's absolutely no reason to go back to where we were. It is I imagine that telemedicine, the different platforms uh, in some other states, I just heard last night, they're even allowing telephone medicine uh, visits, which I wouldn't want. I got to eyeball the patient. But nevertheless, it is part of our armamentarium that will go on and get better for our well-made patients for sure. Now, don't leave us hanging. Did the uh, executive accept hospice after your social call? Are you kidding? With these blue eyes, who could resist? I agree. <laughs> no, he so did. He, said, he did. He accepted hospice and died a week later. Wow. Yes. wow. But, yeah. you know, it was a it was not only important for him to hear it from me. It was important for the, his family sure. to see him accept it. You know, sometimes I'm simply a conduit uh, to help not only the patient, but the patient and their family. So he did accept hospice. Wow. Yes. And, and when you... Think about it. And we've done shows on this, Dr. Charles and I. Too many families bring hospice in too late. They bring it in right at the end, as that executive did. Exactly. You can have six months of preparation, uh, but most folks don't do that. It is sad. But but again, you know, especially depending on the culture, you know, no, 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 we have to do everything, everything possible, everything possible. Uh, And other reasons that patients are, are hard to let go. Uh, my my husband died from a malignancy and, and I brought him home because that was our deal. We come home and then we do what God wants us to do. Uh, and that was a beautiful way to pass. And passing, dying, illness in certain cultures or in all cultures in one way or another is a difficult conversation to have, you know. Uh, so the more you talk about it, with your patients or even in conversation, you know, like I have a little red Jag convertible. It's 14 years old. So I told my sons, you're burying me in that car. And so <laughs> my grand, my granddaughter says, we'll just tell her we're burying her and we'll keep the car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but see, the more you talk about that topic, the more comfortable people can become with it. So hospice is a, is a, is a very important part of the team to help us uh, with our patients who have irreversible disease, painful disease, uh, and, and somebody needs to kind of give them that reassurance. So. Yeah. I had excellent experiences with hospice. Um, both of my parents, eventually, my dad 10 years ago, my mom last year, um, 
passed away at home with hospice. But again, I agree that that was for us definitely the best decision um, so that we could provide care. And my dad was one of those that we put him on hospice and he passed away maybe two weeks later. But my mom, we had her home with hospice for several months. And it was, it was a good experience um, because they were so ready, you know, they would come and, you know, help. And we had questions in the middle of the night, they would help answer those and provide her with comfort. So it was such a good, good experience for us. Now, do you share that with your patients? I do. I do. I have several patients that, you know, when, when you get to that line where, you know, maybe now's a good time to start thinking about it. Um, you know, I often bring up my own experiences, which I think just helps you relate to patients a little bit better. And then they understand that you're not trying to come at it from a financial standpoint or or something, anything like that, but just my own personal experience as well. So Dr. Villarreal, we have about uh, 30 seconds or so left. Is there anything we haven't asked you that you'd like to share with us? Uh, before we have to say goodbye. No, it's, it's been a delightful conversation as you started out. But again, the main thing is not only for our physicians, but, and, but our patients. Telemedicine is here to stay. Use it to your benefit. Uh, at the physician level, keep staying in contact with our patients. At the patient level, never a question that can't be asked on a screen. So telemedicine is here to stay. Uh, it connects. Well, thank you. And I'm going to carry away the vision of you driving around the Rio Grande Valley in your little red Jaguar. Take care. I'll send you a picture. (laughs) Thank you. On behalf of uh, Marisa Charles, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us right here on WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.